This episode of Podcast for America is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter promo code AMERICA at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from Washington, D.C. This is Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the FUBAR Olympics, and by that I mean this 2016 presidential campaign cycle. I'm Annie Lowry, a contributing editor at New York Magazine. With me in Washington is Mark Leibovich of the New York Times Magazine. And Alex Wagner is in New York, and she is of MSNBC. Hi, guys. (laughs) Or so they say. Yeah, purportedly. All right. First up, we're going to talk about Ted Cruz, the Republican Inigo Montoya, a candidate who finally appears to be generating some real momentum. What is grabbing voters' attention, especially when our Republican Prince Humperdinck, Donald Trump, wants it so badly? Next up, we will be talking about Donald Trump's health, which you'll be surprised to hear is excellent. And finally, it's the holiday season. That means that if you are Barack and Michelle, your lives have just become a pageant of unending misery. Now, the unending misery, you should point out, is not just free-floating unending misery. It's is regards to the endless receiving lines they have to stand on through the holiday party yeah, season. Yeah, indeed. So, anyway, right, we'll, we'll talk come about back that. To it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to finish things up with a quick segment we are calling Dear Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to it. Ted Cruz is now the leading Republican in Iowa. That's according to Friday's Des Moines Register and Bloomberg poll. He has about 31% support compared to Donald Trump's 21%. So let's talk about Cruz Bentham. Mark, what do you think is going on here? Ted Cruz is very, very, very conservative. He, he would, that would put him very much in step with the very, very conservative Republican electorate that tends to be active in Iowa and tends to vote in the caucuses. You know, he pretends to be an evangelical Christian. That is sort of where most much of the energy is in the Republican Party in Iowa. So between that and the fact that he's run what I guess right now looks like a pretty smart race, he's sort of tried to stay outside of the crosshairs of Trump. He sort of stepped back and allowed Trump to awaken the far right fringes or whatever you want to call them of the party and then be waiting there to reap the benefits when someone like Trump, someone like Carson flames out. So you, know, you could say it looks like a good strategy. I, I also think the, the larger message here is that people get a little carried away with Trump's national polls. As soon as we start talking about individual states, especially the first individual state that's going to be voting, that could be a maybe a more instructive way of, of looking at the dynamics of the race. Yeah. And Alex, it's been kind of interesting. So inevitably, Cruz has these good poll numbers come out. Donald Trump refers to him as a maniac in kind of response. And then Cruz has this like actually kind of hilarious retort in which he sort of tweets, in honor of my friend at real Donald Trump and good-hearted maniacs everywhere. And then it's a link to the YouTube clip of the maniac sequence from Flashdance. And do you think this is like the right strategy for him, basically? to like ignore or humor Donald Trump's it's like Mark pointed out it seems to be working yeah I feel like humor is a good rebuttal for Donald Trump I mean I just still I mean I'm gonna say I've been saying it's at least for three days I've been saying the nominee's gonna be Ted Cruz but I I actually do think he will I mean unlike Ben Carson and Donald Trump I actually think Ted Cruz stands a very 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 good chance of ending up as the Republican nominee, if only because he's a sitting senator, he went to Princeton, and as much as the establishment and his colleagues in the Senate hate him, 
I think they're going to come around because he's gonna he's got the grassroots, he's got the campaign infrastructure, he's got the super PAC, he's got the money, he's got the discipline, and he also is beloved by the rabble rousers that are keeping Trump at the top of the or near the top of the polls. I mean, that said, he will never be the president of the United States of America. And I mean, it's worth pointing out he is pretty far from what Americans want, I think. I mean, I guess there's a debate. And by pretty far, I mean really fucking far. (laughs) Right. So he's pretty good on Twitter because you don't actually see his face and hear his voice on Twitter. But, like, (laughs) whenever you do, and I know there's a lot of back and forth in the press about whether being likable matters. And, I I mean, I wonder what you guys think. I just don't think you can be so totally repugnant to everybody that you've ever come (laughs) in contact with, including your roommate and your Republican colleagues, and win the presidency. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that's right. Mark, why does everybody hate him? Because everybody hates him. He does have that uncanny ability that the more people know know him at all, he rubs them not only the wrong way. I mean, he erases them the wrong way. I mean, some of the quotes coming out of like (laughs) college roommates, things like that have been astounding. Because like Donald Trump is an asshole. Ted Cruz is an asshole. I don't agree with that, by the way. That's a disclaimer. No, but you know, talk about that, Mark, because you spent time with the Donald and you don't necessarily think he's an asshole, though he may be a bigot. But why not? He's he's an asshole to many people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. He's also charming and compelling and a celebrity to many people, which, you know, is not mutually exclusive to racist, xenophobic, demagogue, a lot of the other words that are thrown around in connection with him. I mean, I think part of his appeal is that he actually has a I, I wouldn't call it a winning personality, but certainly a personality that is very difficult to turn away from, whereas I think Cruz has a face that you want to turn away from. And yeah. Not just Cruz face. reminds me of like – Not just face, like, a kind of a manner, right, and, and yeah. kind of a sort of a code of – I mean there, there's a whole – yes, I, I agree, not just face. Well, because I feel like Cruz feels like the – uncle who everybody kind of hates who like brings up like the gold standard at thanksgiving like apropos of nothing yes okay but let's <laughs> okay but let's have one of our like periodic media northeast bubble sensibility reality check alerts have we beep, can beep, i coin beep, that beep, term beep, 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 beep. look this is someone who has worked very very hard the last four or five years to convince everyone that he is anti everything that Washington, that official politics, that polite company of, of American life values, whether it's actually getting things done, whether it's the respect of his colleagues, whether it's doing things you know, with a certain cordiality or what have you that most people at the end of the day would like. However, if you look at people who are, quote unquote, angry, who are sick of politics as usual, I mean, he's really spent a lot of time over the last few years proving himself that he is the one candidate who can blow things up and do it periodically. So, you know, beyond our observations here, I mean, I think there's an appeal that he's worked very, very hard to earn, and and clearly it's worked. Forget the Washington stuff, forget the Senate stuff. You see him on the campaign trail quoting the Princess Bride. And it is so annoying and it is so pat. I mean, he does it over The Simpsons, The Princess Bride, The Simpsons, The Princess Bride, to the degree that Mandy Patinkin, who plays Inigo Montoya, gave an interview to the New York Times basically saying that Ted Cruz doesn't understand The Princess Bride. But you watch that and you're like, oh, God, this is for I mean, I wish he was the uncle that talked about the gold standard. I feel like he's the cousin that spent like his entire adolescence playing 
Carmen San Diego and has no friends and doesn't understand how human <laughs> interaction works. I will say, side note, I spent a lot of my adolescence playing Carmen San Diego, but but I just he's so you're awkward. projecting, he's, Alex. Yeah, <laughs> no, well, right? Yeah. I totally this is am. like a projection. He is so awkward. He is so awkward and weird and just it's it it's painful. Mm. Uh, yes, although I would also say that he is smooth and smart. You think I mean, he's smooth? smooth? To a certain, Wait, smooth to and a awkward certain don't kind seem of the like pop- they, they can go together. No, yeah. they're not. I but agree they're, that he's smart. Uh, he is smart, like, no, but he I, can I haven't met anybody who thinks he's put an it idiot. this way. He can recite lines in a way that a certain sector of the population finds very, very appealing. Yeah. I will very briefly return us to also the fact that he – I mean, so all of the Republicans have these like – this is what I'm interested in, right? But these economic plans that have just, like, gone way beyond Romney in terms of, like, psychotic. They're like, we'll cut everybody's taxes, especially rich people, and we'll make up the money by attaxes. magic. I love the attacks. Is that, like, kind of like... His, his plan is unusually bad, though. So it's, like, a 10% flat rate and then a VAT. And what this would do is it would just make life really cheap for rich people and really expensive for middle-income people. Uh, he also I, wants to benefit- end the four. 14th Amendment, <laughs> which but is like birthright well, citizenship. Okay. That's interesting. What is a VAT again? Value-added tax. Oh. Did you know it's that, Alex? Of, I said it at the like same time. It's tax. We said Damn it in man. chorus. We're both a oh, lot smarter God. than you. <clears throat> Annie's yeah. smarter than All both right. of us. I'm more, more at your level, but still a little bit smarter than you, Mark. All right. We need to take a quick break to hear about one of our sponsors. Squarespace. Building a website can be a pain in the butt, getting the coding right and the spacing, the layout, the design, the photos, but Squarespace makes it all a breeze. They have really intuitive tools, and you can get a free domain if you sign up for a year. It's very easy to make this happen. You can start today. Go to squarespace.com, and when you decide to sign up, make sure to use the promo code AMERICA to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. All right. We are back, and we are talking... Again, about the Donald and his physician. Here is the statement from Trump's doctor on his health. To whom? My concern. I have been the personal (laughs) physician of Mr. Donald J. Trump since 1980. His previous physician was my my father, Dr. Jacob Bornstein. Over the past 39 years, I am pleased to report that Mr. Trump has had no significant medical problems. Da-da-da-da-da. His physical strength and stamina are extraordinary. His cardiovascular <laughs> status is excellent. He has no history of ever using alcohol or tobacco products. If elected, Mr. Trump, I can state unequivocally, will be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. <laughs> God help us. Well, God help anybody that goes to Lenox Hill Hospital to see uh, Harold Bornstein. <laughs> <laughs> It kind of leads to an interesting question, though, right? Who has been the healthiest president thus far? Because we've had some pretty unhealthy ones, right? Like by the time George Washington, Barack Obama, hands down, hands smokes. No, he doesn't. He does smoke. No, he does not. He used to smoke. Yeah, that dude is mad, disciplined, and works out every day. Can I just say I don't think Doctor? I mean, Michelle has got to be the healthiest occupant, right? Yes. I don't know. I don't yes. think Dr. Bornstein would ever, ever make a statement like also, that without actually, thoroughly you know researching the health record. <laughs> right. George W. Bush. George W. Bush probably could, is in better shape. Very than healthy. Obama. Very, 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 yeah. very healthy. Although a history with alcohol and drugs. 
Indeed. And then, yeah, we, we get further back and you get into the, the kind of smoking, drinking, carousing presidents. Which is basically everybody before George yeah. W. Bush. It'll be interesting to think <laughs> Bill Clinton will be a healthier first lady than he was president. It's you just think, great right? when you say the sentence, Bill Clinton will be a healthier first lady. <laughs> That's just so much goodness there, Annie. So much goodness. Indeed. You could also say that he will be healthier than any first dude that has come before him. Yes. Yeah, that's a fair point. Unequivocally. No, no, I, I think what's interesting about this is a letter like this, a statement like this, which is on its face hilarious, just sort of gives you a sense of where Donald Trump is. I mean, there is no punishment for being maybe disingenuous, for sort of turning solemn ritual of the presidential campaign into a mockable joke. I mean, yeah, this is someone who from the outset literally was dinged for hiring actors and actresses to be at his announcement speech. Yeah, this is just part of the ongoing burlesque, which unfortunately, you know, it's funny, but it's also, you know, parallel to the ongoing, I guess you could say, ugliness of his campaign. I want to know, okay, first of all, Lenox Hill Hospital must be pissed off, right? Because <laughs> this has, look, at the top of this mm-hmm. letter, the letterhead has the Bornstein family MD's practice. Then it also, <laughs> he, his, his sign-off says, Department of Medicine, Gastroenterology, Lenox Hill Hospital. This undermines the credibility of one of the best hospitals in New York. <laughs> and also, I wonder, like, did Harold Bornstein look at this letter? Like, how did this letter actually come about? Because it's obvious that Donald Trump wrote it. I mean, there's no such thing as a surgeon saying unequivocally or a gastroenterologist saying unequivocally he will be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. This is like all kinds of violations of the Hippocratic Oath. It's so funny. Here's the thing. I know we say this every week, but I guess I just wonder are Trump supporters dumb enough to read this letter and be like, oh, see, he has an amazing bill of health? Or are they like, wow, this is kind of a ridiculous letter? Because it's totally ridiculous. I mean, it's No, like- it does. It, it reminds me of, of like a letter that would be written by like Putin's doctor under duress or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I'm amazed that they don't have his like squat, deadlift, and bench stats in there. But that would be actual data. And Trump hates data. <laughs> I, I think the focus on the word stamina is interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, this is someone who's probably the most famous headline about him, which he has, you know, touted left and right. It was a tabloid headline when Marla Maples was overheard saying, it's the best sex I've ever had. Arguably the most libel-proof statement <laughs> in history. Anyway, you know, Trump was obviously not uh, embarrassed by that. So maybe this, and, I don't know. And, just... and he's always suggested that Jeb Bush, or he did for a while when Jeb Bush was seen as a contender, Okay, that he he's low energy, which was like Trump speak for low T, low testosterone, mm-hmm. and there's Trump. Exactly. Low stamina. Low sta- yeah. High stamina, low energy. So good. Low T Bush. Low, low T Bush. Bush. There has to be some like reveal on this letter at some point, right? I mean, oh, like, yeah, but you, you got to think gonna Lennox. Hurt him, though? No, 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 no not Trump. Hurt him. Right. <laughs> not oh, yeah, about yeah. Oh, Dr. Bornstein, MD. maybe. Yeah. Oh, and his emails right on there. Oh, yeah. Oh, Hbornst1. Uh, oh, can you imagine the troll? Woo, are they bummed about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually, yeah, the Bornsteins will be switching their emails. I the Gmails. So. The official the Gmail. Gmail account for this Either highly reputable playing. doctor. <laughs> this is amazing. This is catnip. This is un. You can't ignore this letter. If you're See, in the media, you, this letter drops and you're like, oh, hell yes. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Speaking Tis the season mm. of holiday parties. They are awkward. They are drunken. They are incessant. That is especially true for Barack and Michelle, who host 
a number of gatherings in the White House during which they do not actually mill around during the party. They're literally in a separate room and guests will stand in a receiving line and like shake their hand for three seconds, take a grip and grin photo and then move along. And Brock and Michelle do this for like hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And several different evenings around the holidays. It's just, it's an enormous time suck for them. And then everybody else is kind of like partying upstairs from where they are. It's really nice of them to do. But I mean, I was thinking about this, like Barack Obama's time is worth arguably more than anybody else's time. And he's like taking photos for a trillion hours. I mean, how do we feel about this? I kind of feel bad for them. I absolutely feel bad for them. I mean, I think, first of all, every president does it. I think the Obamas do it less, according to a report in the Times this week on, on this very, very yeah. um, urgent Did you go talk. to the Bush ones during the Bush White House? I never did. I wasn't covering – I went to a Cheney party, actually. Me and Ooh. Jim Rutenberg uh, went together, and uh, we went as actual dates because neither of our significant others went with Wait, us. And think- we took a picture, and uh, we made some remark about the New York Times. That's a keeper. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and it was a great picture, like me and Jim – and sort of like with our arms around Dick and Lynn. And, you know, Jim and I have looked terrific. And Jim, (laughs) to his eternal discredit, ran off with the picture. So now it's on his refrigerator, and I no longer have this picture. But uh, I will say that in the times I've been through the receiving lines here, the first thing I always say to the president and Mrs. Obama is just, I'm really sorry you have to do this. Having said that, the person I'm with, my guest, uh, you know, this week it will be my daughter, my 11-year-old daughter. It is an experience of a lifetime. It is a, you know, it is a 15-second interlude that they will cherish for their lives. And I guess that's why they do it. And I think that's kind of cool. And we're lucky to be able to be on the recipient of that. It is, yeah. In interest of full disclosure, I have also done this. Brought my parents, brought one of my sisters. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really nice thing. It's just kind of also, on the other hand, an unbelievable, horrid, black hole time suck. Their faces must hurt. Yeah. They, okay, so a little context. The Bushes did photo lines at basically all the White House parties, which is, there. I think there are 19 parties a season, mm. which is completely insane. You talk about physical shape, like <laughs> j- just being able to stand there for three hours, sometimes four, 19 nights mm-hmm. in the month of December is like a stamina I can't even imagine. So the Obamas came in and basically were like, we cannot fucking do this. Please God. <laughs> And they cut back the number of photo lines to, I think, just three or four parties, the congressional parties and the press parties. The other piece of it, which the Times goes into, is the, the fact that, you know, especially for the congressional photos, there are people who have said wretched things about this president and other presidents, including Bill Clinton, and personally wretched things. And then will show up at the photo line and get their photos taken like nothing has happened. And I guess the the sort of question is, is that okay? Is that like duplicitous or does everybody who is serving in the U.S. government, should they have a chance to take a photo with the president, yeah. no matter what the history is? There's this feeling in Washington, right, like that it's all a little bit of a game. And journalists get this too. Politicians definitely get it, where people will just say the most awful things about you online. And then you meet them in person and it's like, oh, hey, we're cool. We're just in an elevator or a green room together. I've never been very good at not being a total bitch to people who are mean at me online. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can you imagine but if you were president? Are. Oh, God. And, like, they were actually fucking with your job. Like, yeah. not only saying mean things on Twitter, but, like, undermining your work. Totally. And then they were like, oh, hey, Annie. Yeah. yeah. You know, are you on Face the Nation, too? <laughs> <laughs> we know that Barack Obama reads this stuff. And we also know, because, like, White House people will talk about this, that he hates it. Yeah, and a lot of these people genuinely hate him. I mean, I guess I would yep. say... First, there's part of me that says it's kind of like a cool exercise in that it shows at least a modicum of respect for the office. And it's like, even though we despise you and we say the most horrible things about you, we respect the office enough to think that, like, getting a photo with you is, is like, enough that it, maybe I'll even hang it in my office. Yeah. The other thing is, as sort of a student of anthropology, I would love to see a complete download from Barack and Michelle, assuming they keep some sort of diary, of all of the... <laughs> memorable things that have been said to them because you can get a window into someone's character by what they elect to say mm -hmm. to the president. Like there are the dicks who like say, you have to help the so-and-so refugees or you have to vote on House to do. What or, a dick. Or, no, or people who get in their <laughs> face or people who, you know, who instruct their kids to say Michelle something. Bachman. Exactly. Oh, yeah. There are many stories from there. I mean, very few get told, but I would encourage the president and the first lady, if they are listening, to uh, tell all when you have gone through your last receiving line. Absolutely. For those who don't, are not going to the White House Christmas parties, the way that it's structured is you get this little ticket and you're given a time to go in and take your photo with the president, but you don't see the president and the first lady the no. whole party. And eventually you get in the line and there are these various screens and then there are ushers that sort of take your purse and you're sort of shuttled through one of the rooms leading to the diplomatic room, which is where they take the photos. And then all of a sudden you round this corner and there's this like camera and lights and you're like standing with the president and the first lady. And I will say... There's something kind of awesome and like Wizard mm -hmm. of Ozzy about oh, totally. the whole thing that makes it feel really special. And I, I feel like, you know, it's probably worth just mentioning yeah. that part beyond just the photo. It's a very kind of like it's a big reveal. And they seem I mean, they're sort of larger than life, just their stature and their inaccessibility in yeah. some right. ways. And like to be all of a sudden face to face with them is it's yeah. special. It's a and special it's funny because it, it's also like I do think that, that the benefit, or at least I always felt this way, it's not for you. It's for the person that you get to bring, right? Totally. You get to be like, this is like one of the yeah. bizarre perks of being a part of this world. Because, I mean, very few people get that kind of proximity with him ever. And they're dressed in their Christmas finery. Indeed. <laughs> it was. Last year he told me and my sister Charlotte that we looked like Christmas ornaments, <laughs> which was very nice. Wow. And then we got... How objectifying. Cute. Immediately run off. <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry. How objectifying. Yeah, how objectifying. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> I should have been like, Barack, I thought that you would appreciate me for my brain. Exactly. Much more broadly, do you muster up the courage and the placidity in yourselves to be nice to people who are assholes to you online? Hell like no. When? Thank like you, Alex. When visited, when you see them yeah, face to face? Yeah, you like see somebody and they have said something about how you're like the stupidest creature on earth and should swim into the ocean until you die, you know? D depends on my mood. I feel like I don't get – I get those comments a lot, but not necessarily from people that I actually see anywhere. You know, it's most faceless Twitter trolls, yeah. right? There's one of two ways to play this. One, you could just be one of these people who snubs or, or whatever. But there, I actually think that a obsequiousness about, oh, yeah, I saw what you wrote about me on Twitter. God, that's pretty hilarious. Anyway, it's really nice to meet you. Really <laughs> nice to meet you. I actually really appreciate your reading this. And, like, look, it's really nice. And you actually seem like a really good guy and you have a really good reputation. Or or alternatively, you actually, you know, from what I can tell, I mean, you're a real dick. But, um, you know, a lot of people have said that. But actually, in real life, you seem like not a bad guy. 
So yeah. nice to meet you. And it makes them uncomfortable either way. That's that's a pretty good way of negging somebody. Like, oh, everybody thinks that you're such an asshole, but you seem uh, really nice in person. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's passive aggressive <laughs> in a very aggressive way. I mean, it's I'm not gonna that I'm going to write that clever. one down and put that in my little book of retorts. I have this colleague. Dude, I'm going to start using the the verb negging again. Yeah. Negging. Yeah. Been a minute. We I, need to reclaim that one. But I had a colleague at a previous job who I guess he was a little threatened by me, and he used to say um, – Ah, uh, Leibovich, I was just defending you. I'm like, oh, really? To, to, with whom? He goes, nah, never mind, never mind. I, I can't say. Wow. I'm like, nah, how's that for an icebreaker? Oh, wow. Yeah. That is a dickish it's, move. It's a sad, dickish person. It is. And it's funny. Now that, I'm, now that I'm like meditating on this a little more, I think that the, the ones that I have real issues with is when people are mean about Ezra, my husband. Like, like which wow. happens a lot, but some of them should know better. Those I think are probably what the do you do? Fucked up. What do you do? The grudges that I hold for longest. Well, oh, I just like I make the room five degrees colder. With how do you do that? Stare. Do you do you do? Is it just a stare? Do you get in their face? Does it ever like? No, 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 no. I never okay. initiate anything. I'm lucky because I'm starting from a place of having pretty good resting bitch face, and so then I'll just like you know. No, you don't radiate that energy. You don't out. have a resting bitch face. I really. I sat do. in front of Wait, you for I'm years. Giving, I'm giving. I saw your face at rest many right times. Now. All right. But that's not you at rest. That's giving you giving Mark, pitch space. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Disappointed. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> anyway, I you know, as the temperature cools in here. Mark is crying now. Totally. Uh-oh. All right. Moving on. It is time for our little final segment, and this time we are calling it Dear Santa. We are saying what we want from politics for Christmas this year. Alex. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, God. I would like a strong rebuke of Ted Cruz from Carrie Elwes and Robin Wright and Andre the Giant and Billy Crystal, preferably all together in costume so that every member, every principal of the Princess Bridecast will have shot him down, <laughs> not, not literally, shot his impressions into the sky, into the great blue beyond, and he never does them again. Dear Santa, thank you. Isn't the little kid like Fred Savage or Ben Savage? Or Fred Savage, right. Oh, good Him call. Too. Good call. Who is Grandpa? It's the guy who played Columbo. Oh, yes. Peter Falk. The ghost of Peter Falk and an adult Fred Savage. I would throw them in there as well. Wow, that's, that's quite a, a long message, message to, to Santa. Are you impressed that I could recall the cast? I'm that extremely, extremely impressed. I mean, so my impressed. dear Santa is more than anything else. I would like all of the trillion other Republican candidates to get together and enact some scenes from The Princess Bride. So, you know, we can have <laughs> Donald Trump as Prince Humperdinck. Maybe the little kid in bed. Who would be a good little kid? Uh, Rick Santorum. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be good. He'd be good. I think that's really <laughs> good. The kind of babyish man. Lindsey Lindsay, Graham, guys. Sure. Come on. Oh. It's Lindsey Graham. Boyish appeal. All right. Mark, yeah. what do you want from, from Santa this year? I would actually like there to be an entire debate on Twitter, candidates tweeting for themselves over a two-hour period in which it's just this two-hour barrage, free-for-all or what, and sort of see what it comes up with. That's not a great thing to wish for, but I think it would be kind of cool. And I'm for anything that's different. I dig I, it. You do love different. I try. You do love different. You're I like try. Apple. You yeah. think different. Yeah, but I think the, the elves on our respective shelves have seen a lot of bad behavior from us this year. So we will probably all be getting coal. 
Well, first of all, I'm Jewish, so you know I don't know how to think this in is, terms of sense. Oh, this definitely is a yeah. show, Mark. <laughs> I know it's a Christian show. All I mean, just like, all I, this the is time. like this is I am basically Muslim, and you two are Donald Trump on this. <laughs> You're the Donald Trumps of this podcast. <laughs> I, I always feel a little bit like an outsider. Oh. Uh, however. I think there's a lot of room for understanding between all of our people and our various persuasions and, mm. and faiths. All right. I love that. It's a good Isn't holiday note. We're Mark. pulling the plug. That's right. enough of Podcast for America for this week. Yep, we are. Thank you to our producer, Jocelyn Frank. Thanks to AC Valdez and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about us too. You can subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a comment wherever you subscribe, positive or negative, whatever you feel. It helps other people discover our show. For Mark Leibovich and Alex Wagner, I'm Annie Lowry. We'll talk to you next time.